Good morning. It is truly a blessing to be here. Um, it, it is always a joy to, to travel home and be with our physical family, but it is a joy to come back and be with our spiritual family here. We're very thankful uh, for, for this group of people, this flock, um, this uh, support system that, that God has given us. You know, the, the new year is always an exciting time for me. It's, it's really one of my favorite times of year because uh, it's, it's a time for fresh starts, for setting new goals. Not that you can't do that any time during the year, but, but especially at the beginning of the year, it's, it's a helpful time um, to reflect on the past year, to anticipate the new year. And while many people are making resolutions uh, about their health, about their finances, or their work, life, uh, family balance, I, I want to encourage us all to think about spiritual goals uh, in this coming year, in 2023. Spiritual growth doesn't happen by accident. It takes purpose. It takes intention and motivation and accountability. One way uh, that we are seeking to help the, the body here be very intentional about growing. We, two years ago, we did a Eastside Family Bible reading plan um, and encouraged everybody in the congregation to get involved with that. This past year, 2022, we made that available. We didn't make as much of a, uh, a deal out of it, um, did, didn't preach from it and, and encourage it. I, I'm making it available once again. There are paper copies in the back. It's on our website, send it out an email. Um, and while we're, we're not necessarily going to structure our, our sermons or classes around that, I want to encourage you to consider uh, reading through the Bible this year. Whether you use this plan or you use some other plan, uh, this plan is a five-day-a-week plan. Uh, if, if you miss a day, you still got two days in the week to, to um, catch up. It has a reading in the Old Testament. If you just want to read through the Old Testament in a year, it has a reading just through the New Testament in a year. You can read both. Um, but I want to encourage you to think about that, to think about, in some way, setting aside time this coming year uh, to very intentionally and consistently spend time listening to the Lord, getting to know him, getting to know him more intimately. And so as we prepare for the new year, and as some of us may be launching into uh, a, a Bible reading plan for the year, um, I, I want us to think about some um, effective uh, methods, of effective aspects of Bible reading, of uh, con conducting Bible reading in such a way and with such a focus that it truly accomplishes its purpose um, as God intends for it to. Uh, I, I did teach this lesson two years ago when we started that, that Bible reading plan um, I, ironically, it was, it was two days before Aaron and I left uh, to go adopt Ruby that we last looked at this lesson. Um, and so judging how old Ruby is, I, I think it's probably a good time to go back and revisit some of these things. Uh, but we're going to talk about seven tips for effective Bible reading today. And where we need to start, I think, is, uh, number one, be consistent. That, that's the entire reason we would encourage people to think about setting aside some definite plan of Bible reading, of Bible study, is that that can be consistent. What often happens 
Um, when we don't set clear goals, our, our clear plan for Bible reading or other aspects of our spiritual lives, when we don't set measurable goals, it's easy to convince ourselves that we're doing a lot more or doing a lot better than we really are. Uh, it's easy to let other things crowd out our time spent in communication with the Lord. Uh, but just like diet and just like exercise, we desperately need consistency in our spiritual lives. In Psalm 1 and verse 2, you may remember this picture uh, the psalmist gives us of a tree planted by the waters. This picture of spiritual fruitfulness and uh, stability. Well, where does that come from? What how does God produce that kind of spiritual strength and fruitfulness within us? Psalm 1 and verse 2, as it describes this man, it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Consistency. Uh, constantly, day and night, spending time being nourished upon God's word. Now, imagine for a moment if you had a house plant. And you didn't think you're going to be able to be very, very consistent watering that plant. But you thought, well, every two weeks or so, I'll, I'll just put all the water in that I would have put in over the last two weeks. Um, and, you know, that, that, that'll make up for, for the time that I missed putting the water. W would that work very well? Not, not with most plants, right? Um, you may be putting the same amount of water in. But the lack of consistency is going to kill that plant very quickly. Uh, you might even think about that in, in terms of our, our physical eating. What, what if we said, well, I'm, I'm just going to go two weeks without food, but then I'm, uh, on one day, I'm going to eat all of the food that I would have eaten for three meals over the last two weeks. Well, of course that doesn't work, right? Consistency, consistent nourishment, consistent watering is what we need. And in our spiritual lives as well, it's, it's not enough that, that we think, well, you know, once a week, I'll, I'll devote a, a bunch of time to, to studying or, or, you know, every so often we'll, we'll set aside some time and, oh, I guess I better get back to Bible study and let me put in, you know, a, a couple hours. No, consistency, spending time daily with the Lord, being nourished upon his word, allowing him to speak to us is key. This passage that Jonathan read for us in Deuteronomy chapter 6 I want to read this again, uh, starting in verse 6. God told the people of Israel, uh, verse 6 of Deuteronomy 6, These words that I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. He said they need to be in their heart. But, but how were they going to get inside their heart? Well, they needed to be talking about it, spending time in it. First thing in the morning, last thing at night, while they were at work, while they were relaxing, while they were at home, while they were away. God wants our time spent in his word as families to be more consistent than our time in front of the television, than our time surfing the internet, uh, as consistent as, uh, you know, our, our time eating physical food, uh, as consistent as uh, you know, hopefully our time, uh, you know, washing our hands or taking a bath or whatever it may be. 
We need consistency. Constantly spending time in the Lord's word. And maybe what we need is a sign. Maybe you need a sign on your, your doorpost. Maybe you need something uh, as visible as something on your hand uh, you know, that, that you're going to see constantly that's going to remind you of your need to be listening to the Lord, developing a relationship with him. Um, you know, maybe you need to take this Bible reading plan and, and put it on your, your refrigerator. Every time you go to eat, you can see this, this Bible reading plan. Remind you, you need to be spending time with the Lord. Um, maybe you need to, you know, put it, tape it on the front of your TV. And before you turn on the TV, make sure you first read your Bible, uh, you know, spent time with the Lord. And as we talked about in our class today, this isn't just a checklist thing. Um, it's about getting it in our hearts. But Deuteronomy 6 tells us if we want to get it in our hearts, that's going to take some consistent time, some accountability, and making sure that it's always in front of us, that we're thinking about it, talking about it with one another constantly. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14 says, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. How, how do we get mature spiritually? How, how do we grow to a point that we're able to, to digest uh, deeper applications of God's word within our lives? Well, he says the one who uh, is the mature one is the one whose powers of discernment have been trained by constant practice in distinguishing good and evil. Um, you know, the, the illustrations that we could think of can go on and on, but you think about somebody who's practicing a musical instrument, somebody who's practicing, you know, some sport, uh, consistency is key, once again. You, you can't just do that in one day. Um, you, you need day by day by day to be making a practice of doing those things. We need to train the spiritual muscles in our brain, so to speak, um, that may be hard at first, but the more consistent, the more intentional, the more accountable we are, uh, the easy that will become, the more that will become a part of us, the more that will become something deep within our hearts, um, uh, part of, of our identity from day to day, uh, allowing God's word uh, to consistently mold us and direct our thinking. But as we think about consistency, again, this is not just about going through the motions. Uh, I encourage you to be inquisitive. Uh, don't treat Bible reading as a checklist item. Treat it as a genuine learning and growing opportunity. Don't just read the words on the page and let them go in one ear and out the other. Meditate on them. Remember Psalm 2. He meditates on God's law day and night. Chew on them. Di digest them. Um, and the simplest way to do that is to ask questions. Um, what does this mean? Who wrote it? When did they write it? Why did they write it? Uh, why include this detail and skip over that other detail? How does this apply to me? What lesson can I learn? Is this a good example or is this a bad example? What does this teach me about God, about his character, how he views me, how he views the world around me? And Jesus is a perfect example of one who is constantly asking questions. Now, now granted, Jesus didn't ask questions primarily because he didn't know the answer to the questions. Uh, but he asked questions for our benefit, for our teaching. 
Uh, and I think that gives us a, a, a pattern for how we need to approach Bible studies. Well, Luke chapter 2 and verse 46, um, we're, we're told uh, about Jesus uh, when he what, was young. Luke chapter 2 and verse 46 says, After three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. This is Jesus at 12 years old um, who stays behind in Jerusalem uh, at the time of Passover. And he is about his father's business. Well, what, what is he doing there in the temple? It says he was listening and asking them questions. Again, perhaps this is Jesus to some extent teaching through the asking of questions. But, but uh, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 52, we're told of Jesus. Um, Luke chapter 2 and verse 52 We're told here, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. How does Jesus as God, how does God grow in wisdom? How does he grow in stature? God is all powerful. God is all knowing. You know, what, what does it mean that he grew in wisdom and stature? Well, I think we see Jesus' humanity. Here, Jesus took on flesh, and in taking on flesh, Jesus had a physical brain, right? And so as he is still deity, he has emptied himself, we're told in Philippians chapter 2. There's an extent to which he has taken on physical form, experiencing all the limitations and needs of that physical body. And Jesus had to learn. We're told in Hebrews chapter 5 that he learned obedience, well, how did he do that? I think we saw in Luke 2 part of him doing that. He was spending time in the temple, listening and asking them questions. Jesus had to read God's law. Jesus had to spend time learning it as one in the flesh. And if we look at Jesus throughout the Gospels, as he enters into his ministry, Asking questions is one of the primary means of teaching that he uses. Somebody has, has sat down and gone through the Gospels and written down 135 different questions that Jesus asks throughout the Gospel. You know, why, why is that? Most of the time it's not because he doesn't know the answer, but it's because he's trying to help us learn. And so he's asking us questions. One example, Matthew chapter 22, verse 41 through 46. Matthew chapter 22. Um, Jesus asked the Pharisees here in verse 41, what, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Um, and as they respond, the, the son of David, he then says in verse 43, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord saying, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? You see here, Jesus makes a reference to a passage that the Pharisees would have been familiar with, that they had read many, many times, but he gets them to slow down and ask a question. Think about it for a moment. As David is talking about the Christ and he calls him Lord, what, what, what does that teach us about who this Christ is going to be? Is he just the son of David or is he something more? That, 
That's the kind of questions that we need to ask as we read through. Maybe it's a passage we've read over time after time after time. But Jesus encourages us to slow down and say, okay, wait a second. Why did he use that word? What does that teach us about Jesus? What does that teach me about God? We need to do more than just read through it and check it off and be done with it. We, we need to spend time uh, seeking Answer, seeking to know God more deeply. Uh, the, the good, honest, and seeking heart is going to make a practice of asking questions and digging deeper. Um, I, I think about the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. As he is riding along the road and Philip comes up to him and he's reading from Isaiah 53. Um, he, he asks the question, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? That's a good question. That's a good question for him to start with that, that ultimately points him towards Jesus and helps Philip be able to, to teach Jesus to him and bring him to the Lord. Um, and so think about that. Think about that as you read, as you read each verse, as you read each chapter. Um, ask those kinds of questions. Who is this talking about? How does this apply? What does this teach me about God? Um, we often will not be able to answer a lot of our questions right away. Write them down. Come back to them. Um, I'll, I'll use Jared as an illustration because he's not here today. Um, but uh, he, he's with Brethren in, in Philadelphia, by the way. Um, when Jared first became uh, a Christian and uh, he, he got a Bible with, with wide margins in it, and I encouraged him to, you know, as you read through, write down questions in the margin. Um, and so he did that and, and he said some months later, he, he came back and he would read over and he would see some of his questions and he'd think, I know that. Like, why, 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 why was I even thinking that? And, and that, that's what happens. The more that we spend time genuinely inquiring into God's words, seeking, looking for answers, some of those questions that were hard and difficult at first we're going to see more clearly. The more that you read, sometimes the answer to that question that you have in this chapter is going to be in the next chapter, right? Sometimes very quickly we'll find out what it is. But we need to make a practice uh, of digging into God's word, being inquisitive as we approach God's word. Um, and closely related with that, we need to be engaged. Turn your Bible back to Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy chapter 17. Here in Deuteronomy 17, God gives Israel some laws for the anticipation of them having kings in the future. Um, and here in Deuteronomy 17, starting in verse 18, speaking about the, these kings that they will one day have, he says in verse 18, And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. And it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, and he may learn uh, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. Do you notice what God is instructing the king to do here? He says he needs to write his own copy of the law. You might think as a king, well, I have scribes to do that, right? That's their job. Um, says, no, the king needs to sit down and he needs to be the one to write his own copy of the law. Why? Why is that? Well, God wanted him to be intimately acquainted with the law. God wanted the king 
to interact with every word on the page, to have to write it in his own handwriting and keep that book with him. And when he came back to the law and he saw it in his own handwriting, he had no excuse. He wrote it. He took the time to write every letter on every page. We need that kind of level of of interaction and intimacy with God's word, to to get it into our hearts, uh, to ensure that we interact with every single word on the page, to make it personal. Um, I think it's helpful for us to think about ways that we can more deeply interact with God's word. Maybe it is by writing it out. Um, That's going to take you a lot longer. Uh, You know, with this Bible reading plan, uh, for an average reader, it's going to take you 10, 15 minutes a day to read uh, what what is suggested on the Bible reading plan. Um, But but take more time than that. Set aside more time. uh, If if, if you need to to write out, uh, maybe you need to read it out loud. Sometimes for me, uh, you know, when I read it in my head, I kind of skim over some things, read it out loud, hear it in your own voice. Um, Maybe reading through multiple translations. Uh, Maybe write questions in the margin as you go, interacting with the text. Uh, Maybe underlining, memorizing key verses, writing summaries of each chapter or each book. Maybe get somebody else involved. Read it together as a family. Discuss it as a family or or with some brother or sister in Christ. Uh, Maybe you're both reading the Bible reading plan together and and you meet together afterwards to talk about what you've been been reading. Um, Ask questions like, what does this teach me about God in his character? What positive or negative examples can I learn in this reading? Um, How does this passage point forward towards Jesus? What are some practical things that I can do to put what I learned into action? Um, So be engaged. Find ways of interacting more deeply with God's word. And be prayerful. Um, We need God's help to properly understand and apply the things we read. Um, Look with me in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, the longest chapter uh, division in our Bibles, Uh, is all about the value of God's word, the value of God's law. Um, The psalmist uses eight different synonyms to describe God's words, God's law, God's testimonies, precepts, and so on and so forth. And those synonyms uh, are used in just about every verse of this chapter. Uh, There's little question about what the focus of this chapter is, but look with me in particular, Psalm 119, verse 17 and 18. The psalmist prays, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Look a little further down, verse 27 through uh, 29. Make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. Look verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. 
Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. You see the kind of things that the psalmist is praying here? Constantly, um, he, he's, he's viewing his time spent in God's word uh, as a, a, a time of communion with the Lord time of intimate communication with the Lord. And he is constantly asking God, help me to see this more clearly. Open my eyes that I may see. Teach me from your law. Help me to make application of these things in my life. Maybe we need to adopt some of those prayers in our daily time spent with the Lord. Um, we, we need God's help to approach his word honestly, to approach it with wisdom. James 1, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives all liberally and without reproach. We need God's help to, to have the strength, the conviction, uh, to make honest application of what we're reading to our lives. And so spend time uh, praying. Uh, when it comes to our relationship with God, um, certainly listening is more foundational than speaking. However, if we want to cultivate a deeper relationship with him, there's no doubt that we need both. Um, Make your Bible reading time a conversation with the Lord. Pray beforehand, pray during, and pray after. Talk to God about the things you're reading, the things that you're confused about, the things you're learning, the things you're struggling with and need his help to apply. Um, let God's word be living and active in your life. Don't just treat it as words on a page, but hear his voice teaching you through the things that you're reading. And as you do that, be introspective. Allow the sword of God's word to pierce deeply into your heart and your life, discerning the thoughts and intentions of your heart, as Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says. Um, that's how God intends for his word to work. Look with me in James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25 here we read, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. How does God picture us looking into his word here? As a man looking intently into a mirror. Um, and he encourages us to, to make application of the things that we're seeing here. But, but we're not pictured as looking into a telescope, right? And, and searching all the deep uh, philosophical questions of, of the, the universe and humanity we're not pictured as looking into a microscope or a magnifying glass, uh, you know, and, and analyzing the lives of other people around us. First and foremost, we're pictured as looking into a mirror to, to see the things that we need to change, to see the areas that God's character needs to uh, mold us in the way that we live today. The questions that I need to be asking aren't just, well, how does this apply to society? Certainly, that, that is a legitimate question. But before I can ever think about how this applies to other people, I need to first be thinking about how this applies to myself, not just to my neighbor, 
Um, not even just how is this going to equip me to teach somebody else. Because if I'm ever going to teach somebody else, I first have to allow it to teach me. Um, how does this apply to me? What changes do I need to make based on what I'm reading here? And only after we've asked those questions and we've allowed it to dig deep within our hearts can we ever be effective in sharing that then with others. Bible reading time should not just be a time of academic inquiry. It should be a time for self-reflection, for soul searching. Um, and prayer will certainly be very helpful to that end. I think about Second uh, Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. Here Paul writes to the church in Corinth, Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Uh, the, the man that I, I worked with um, in St. Louis for five years before we moved here to Pittsburgh, his name was L.A. Stouffer, he often came to this passage in 2 Corinthians 13 and said, this is the most difficult command in the Bible to follow, um, to examine ourselves, to examine ourselves deeply, to examine ourselves honestly. Um, it's so often easier to see other people's faults and the things that other people need to work on and the things that are broken in the world around us. It's very difficult to be honest, to be willing to see the brokenness within ourselves. Um, and the areas that we need to grow and change. But if God's word is going to do its perfect work within us, we can't just shine the light out at other people. We have to shine the light within. We can't just have the sword out uh, to fight battles without. We need to fight the battles within. We need to allow it to pierce deeply um, to uh, evaluate the thoughts and intents of our hearts. But as we do look into God's word as a mirror, we need to recognize that ultimately God's word is not a book about me. It's not a book about man. It first and foremost is a book about God. He is the main character on every page. And we can't lose sight of that. If we're going to be able to see ourselves clearly and make the changes that we need to make, we need to see God clearly. Um, and as you may start a Bible reading plan this year, as you go through Genesis, remember the main character is not Noah. The main character is not Abraham. The main character is not Jacob or Joseph. The main character is God. He's the hero of the story. And what we're trying to find out in, in all of the stories is what does this teach us about him, about his character? Because ultimately, Genesis chapter 1, who we were intended to be is creatures made in God's image. And so it's only when we come to know God that we can begin to understand who it is that he intends for us to be. Um, it's in the light of his character, the light of his thoughts, that the imperfections in our own lives will rise to the surface. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and in verse 18 here Paul uses uh, an illustration. He's contrasting the, the law of Moses, what he calls the ministry of death uh, that's carved in letters of stone with the gospel, what he calls the ministry of the spirit. And he uses this illustration of Moses when he went up to Mount Sinai, when he appeared before the Lord. Um, his, his 
countenance, his face glowing with the glory that, that was being reflected from, from God. And yet he puts a veil over his face um, that the children of Israel will, will not see that glory and not see that glory fading. Um, and so here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and in verse 18, um, we read, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Uh, in this gospel, we're not like the Israelites, who had to have a, a veil put between them and the glory of the Lord. You think even about the veil in front of the, the Ark of the Covenant. They were separated from God's glory. We're not like the Israelites, but we're like Moses. We get to, to be in the presence of the God who, who is the Spirit, the Spirit that's promised to dwell within us. We, we get to see God face to face clearly within the gospel in such a way that that glory is intended to then be reflected in our countenance. Uh, not physically speaking, but, but spiritually. And so we, we need to, as we look within the gospel, as we look within God's word, you see there in verse 18, behold the glory of the Lord. And that glory is intended to transform us, to produce that same glory in the way that we live from day to day, to reproduce God's character within us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, a little bit later, uh, read with me in verse 3 through 6. It says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is it that Satan doesn't want us to see? He's the one who's trying to put the veil on so that people don't see it. What, what is it that he's hiding? What is it that the gospel is as described here? You notice there in verse 4, it is the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In verse 6, it is the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is it that we're looking at when we look within the scriptures? Is this just kind of some really advanced self-help book? You know, that, that, that's all about us and what we can do to improve our lives and make them more meaningful? Not at all. It's not about us. This is the autobiography of God. It's intended to help us see him in all of his glory. And is that going to help us? You bet it will. It's going to transform us. But that transformation happens when we see God clearly. When we see his character clearly. So I want to encourage you, as you approach Bible reading, to, to approach it as the autobiography of God. On every page, every chapter, think, what does this teach me about him? Um, in John chapter 5 and verse 39 through 40, uh, Jesus told the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. 
and it is they that bear witness of me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You notice what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees? He says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have life. Well, wait a second. Would they find life within the scriptures? They should have. But how were they going to find life? He says, it is they that testify of me and you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. Where is the life? It's in the Jesus that these scriptures point us towards. It's in coming to know him. Does the Bible give us life? There's no doubt that it does. But not within itself, not as some academic inquiry. It happens in developing a relationship with the Lord. That's where the life is in Jesus himself. And so if, if you're going to spend you know, day after day in the scriptures, if, if, if we're approaching it as some long list of, of uh, you know, checklist items and you know, legal re- requirements and do this and don't do that, then we're not going to find life. If we want life, we need to come to the scriptures to know Jesus. We need to come to know God to develop a relationship with him. We can't do that without listening to him. (laughs) We can't do that without letting him tell us who he is. But that's what we're doing when we come to the scriptures, is coming to know him. And and I'd encourage you to, to think about areas of your understanding of God that, that may need to be challenged. You know, as you approach the scripture, if you come across a story, you come across a passage that you think, oh, I'm not really sure that that's consistent with the way that I view God, then, then wake up because this is God telling you who he is. It doesn't matter what my conception of God is. If, if, if I feel like, well, these passages, those, those really describe who God is. And those passages over there, they, they just don't quite as much describe. No. All of, that, all of it is telling us who God is. And if, if there's any area of God's character that, that we, we kind of think, well, yeah, the Bible does say that, but, but, but God's really this way. Then we're not listening to God. We're not letting him tell us who he is. So think about that as you read through the scriptures. Um, how can you understand God in all of his character and his, his uh, uh, many-sided uh, attributes? Let's look at one more passage in this regard. Look at Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Here Peter writes in verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. God has granted us, through his revelation, the revelation of the Spirit uh, completed within the scriptures, he's granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness, everything that we need to know. Um, 
you know, you, you talk about uh, self-help book, you know, th- th- things to help us live a good and godly life. But where does that come from? It says, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. This is not a self-help book. This is a God-help book. Um, and he has called us to his glory and his excellence to know him and ultimately to take part in his divine nature. You see that in verse 4? That we may become partakers of the divine nature. What is the purpose of life? Why did God create man? He created man to be his self-portrait, to reflect his image, to reflect his character. And so if we're going to fulfill the purpose for which we were created, we need to get to know God. Because who he is, is who we're meant to be. And God's word, the revelation of the spirit, is intended to reproduce his character within us. What's the fruit of the spirit? We've talked about this a lot recently. It's God's character. It's God's character reproduced within us. And so as you approach the scriptures from day to day, get to know God. Because who God is, is who we are intended to be. And lastly, be active. If God's word is intended to transform us, then no period of Bible reading or Bible study is complete until it has been lived. Until we make application of it. We can't just check off our Bible reading for the day and then forget all about it. Uh, We have to carry it with us throughout the day. And live it in our thoughts, in our words, and our actions. As we talked about being engaged, think about ways that you can carry what you read with you throughout the day. That you can make application in your interactions and the way that you you think, the things that you meditate upon, and the the, um, activities that you pursue from day to day. We, We talked about James 1 verse 22 through 25 gives us this picture of looking intently into the law of liberty as into a mirror. But the looking wasn't the end of that, was it? No, the one who just looks is a forgetful hearer. Uh, imagine if, if you go into the bathroom uh, this morning and your hair is all messed up and you, you, know, you know, have some drool on, on the side of your face and, um, and you say, well, that was interesting. I'm glad I know. And, and you just go out and go on with your day. Well, no, you, the reason you looked in that mirror was to do something about it, right? When we look into God's word, it's not just to inform us. It's to change us. It's to transform us. Uh, We can be consistent hearers, inquisitive hearers, engaged hearers, prayerful hearers, introspective hearers, God-focused hearers. But if we aren't active hearers, if we aren't doers of the word, that self-examination isn't going to accomplish its purpose until it makes some change in the way that we think and the way that we act from day to day. Um, If we don't put it into action, then our time has been wasted. Uh, You you think about all the time, uh, you know, that that we as a congregation seek to spend in God's word. Coming here on Sundays, on Tuesdays, other studies that we have. Why why do we do that? You know, do, do we just, is it just, just a really fun book club that, uh, you know, we uh, t- take a lot of enjoyment and being really good at Bible trivia, you know, and so this is kind of our Bible trivia prep group? Not at all. 
if, if we leave these doors and there's not something that changes in the way that we think, in the way that we act, um, in the way that we speak from day to day, then, then our time has been wasted. We, we need to allow God to change us. Um, I think about 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. Here in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 5, Paul tells Timothy, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The goal of our instruction. Why do we spend time talking about God? Why do we spend time in his word? It's love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. It's to change us, to reproduce his character, first and foremost, his love within us, and to change us from inside out, from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. We need to read with that purpose and to live out that purpose. We can't take our eyes off the goal. The goal of spending time in God's word is to spend time with him um, and allow him to change us, to transform us into a reflection of his character and the way that we live from day to day. And so don't just be forgetful here, be doers of the word. What about you today? Um, have you been spending consistent time in God's word? Um, would your life be similar to that houseplant that we talked about that you know, every couple, uh, you know, every week or maybe every couple weeks, you know, you, you pour in a bunch of water all at once. If so, then we're not going to be healthy the way that God wants us to be spiritually. We need to spend consistent time with him. And that can't just happen here. Um, you know, we, we can't be baby birds that uh, have somebody else always digesting God's word for us. We need to learn to digest it for ourselves, to spend time with him and spend time with him personally and intimately. And so are you spending time in God's word? If not, I'd encourage you to make a commitment to do that this year. Um, 10, 15 minutes, uh, hopefully more, if, if you're really interacting with God's word. C- can you make that commitment to the Lord? Um, if not, that, that says a whole lot about how much we value him. Let, let's make a commitment to spend time with the Lord, to spend time with the Lord consistently and to allow it to change us. Um, it's often my prayer that God would help us here as a congregation be rooted and grounded in his word and in his character. Um, but the way that that happens is by every single one of us getting to know the Lord spending time in his word. Um, And if every one of us commits to reading through the Bible uh, in 2023, um, it's going to go a long way to help us become who God wants us to be as a spiritual family uh, and as individuals as we go to seek out, uh, to to shine his light to the world around us. If God's word is in some way convicting you today, uh, don't leave here without allowing it to change you if we can help you in making that change, if you need to confess before these brethren uh, some sin in your life uh, that has enslaved you, that you need God's help to, to break the chains of, um, you have that opportunity now. You have that opportunity always. Um, if you want to reach out to these brethren as a whole, uh, you can come forward 
uh, in just a moment as we sing and uh, express your, your desire for the support of these brethren. We'll pray for you and do everything that we can to help you in that. Um, if you need to come to somebody personally, uh, know that there are people here who love you and want to help you be who God wants you to be. Uh, that's why we're here, to help one another in our service to the Lord. If you've never committed your life to the Lord, um, won't, won't you do that now? Um, won't you allow the seed of his word to uh, penetrate your heart, to produce fruit within you? Won't you be willing to surrender your life to him, to bury your old man of sin and baptism, to be raised, to walk in newness of life by God's grace and the power of the resurrection? If there's any way that we can help you in your relationship with the Lord, won't you make that known at this time as we stand and sing together? <laughs>